It's good to be here. It's good to be in His house. Isn't it, church? I was just telling um, someone recently that, you know, we, we all spend time with the Lord individually. I spend time with Him uh, throughout the week. But um, I see so many things that I questioned or questioning God during the week that sometimes just getting together as the body is just such clarity comes. There's something about, you're not going to, don't get tired of me saying this, just, it just building up the body because that's what it's about, coming together. There's just such a power in it, and I can't say that enough. Uh, I love it. I love this church, and I love this people, each of you. I really do. And I'm just so thankful that God has put us together. Who else is thankful that God called us together? He didn't leave us, and He never will. And I want to pick right up immediately on what I've been talking about, go right into the next phase here. We ended in Romans, and I feel like the Lord led us right to that. I mean, man, if you didn't see that that was led by God uh, last week, man, it was just awesome. But He led us into Romans, and I want to pick right up where I left off. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, it's the key. The Holy Spirit is key. It is the seal of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of eternity even. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the guarantee of eternity. And it's all about the Holy Spirit. If we try to be Christians without Him, we're going to fail. But if we let the Holy Spirit work in us and ultimately through us, we're going to see God do what He did in the life of Jesus Christ and what He did in the apostles' lives. Now, Jesus had a cross in His way, didn't He? And the apostles faced many things, didn't they? But the Holy Spirit did not fail, did He? No matter what they faced, no matter what came, even the sureness in Jesus that's in us through the Holy Spirit. There was, uh, during the Civil War, I don't, and again, I am the worst for facts. I like to, I'll usually just look things up to verify if I can, you know. But I remember, I don't remember which side said it. I think it was the, I think it was the South that said it. Maybe someone can tell me which general. He said, if we realize that our time is our time, that we would be much braver. I think that was the South that said that. Anyway, someone can fact check that. But the point is that he was a believer and he realized that it was God's plan and you're just going with God's plan and it, it, it brings this sureness that God's got you, that you trust in God and Him alone and what you are here to do is what you're here to do and your time is your time, etc. You just trust in God. And Jesus tells, you know, uh, tells us that right before his death, he says, you can't touch me. I'm really, I'm about to go to the cross, but I'm really only doing this because I'm letting you. I'm, what I'm about to do is my choice, that what is coming is only because the Spirit of God has ordained this moment. And the Holy Spirit is the key. If we rely on him, we'd be like that general said, and I'd like to have that fact. Maybe someone wants to look it up for me but before the end. But like he said, if we trust in him, we'd be much braver Christians. We just would just trust. He just wants us to just so rely on him, so lean on him. Jesus didn't even begin his ministry until he linked with the Holy Spirit. John said, I saw the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, and he linked with Jesus. Jesus comes out of the baptism and goes right into his ministry. That's where it began. And so it's the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness. For example, I just want to, we read these last week. I'm just going to breeze through these verses here. We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. 
with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And 27, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In verse 28, and we know, here we're going to pick up where we left off, and we know that God causes everything God causes everything or all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Who has had a terrible situation that you gave to the Lord turn out to be a miracle, right? We've seen that. We have seen this verse. If you've been with the Lord for a little bit of time, you've seen this verse work. The Holy Spirit already went to work for you before you even, you didn't even know what to pray and he's already working for you. You lean upon him, you hold on to him and he's already working things together. And it says, verse 29, for God knew his people in advance. He knew you. You were predestined, the new King James says. You, he foreknew you. He knew you before time began, and He chose you to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus really is, went before us. He's the picture of who we are. Jesus is that picture. Jesus showed us that He relied upon the Holy Spirit. He didn't do anything without Him. And He also showed us that even going to the cross was only because the Holy Spirit ordained it. That no matter what you face, whether it's high or low, Jesus had both times. Even Jesus did. It was Holy Spirit led. We can rely and lean upon Him the same way. That's what He said, that we are His seed. He was the firstborn for us. Verse 30, and having been, having been chosen, He chose us. He chose us and He called us to come to Him. And having called us, He gave us right standing or He justified us. He justified us and He gave us His glory or He glorified us. And it brings us right into verse 31. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? We've been talking about this. We had talked for a few weeks, and I'm going to transition right into this new season. But we talked about the soul and the spirit. You stay in the soul, you're going to die. You stay in the spirit, you got life because the spirit is life. And then he says that if you stay with him, there everything is ordained and planned and no matter what comes, it's going to be God. If you're truly trusting in Him, if you are leaning upon God, then the circumstances in your life are God. Now, if you leaned upon your flesh and you brought about a flesh circumstance, don't blame it on God. We were just talking about this in a car ride. The first thing people do is they want nothing to do with God, but as soon as something goes wrong in their life, first person they blame is not their bad decisions, but God. Now, God will rescue you. He's already, I mean, He's pleading for you in the whole process just to come back to Him. But we rely on Him, we lean upon Him, and He just gets, I mean, like, when we realize how good God is and how gracious He is and how loving He is and how, how just steadfast the Spirit of God is for us. No matter what we go through, no matter what we face, that He is always there. He comes and He finally says, I mean, what can we say? What can you really say? I, don't, I mean... I feel like I, he can't even get the words together. What's to be said of such wonderful things as these? And he says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? He just comes to this statement, you decide to be a spirit people and there is Nothing and no one that can stop you. And he continues down on this later on. He says in verse 32, Since he did not spare even his own son. We need to just meditate on this. He did not 
even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Or you may know it as, won't he give us, won't he freely give us all things? In other words, there's really nothing else technically that he can give you because he already gave you everything. Jesus is everything. In him and through him is anything and everything that matters. He said, God is saying and pleading, and he's just been pounding this one line. If you get one line today, as I get into the sermon, if you get one line that you go away with, I want God to be saying to you, what won't I do for you? What won't I do for you? Because what didn't I spare for you? What won't I do for you? Because what didn't I spare for you? Who of us here would take our only sons? And listen, we love each other. I just talked about the love of the body. Who would do it for someone else in here? I know I'm an edgy guy. I just got to push it to that level. Like, oh, we love each other. But I don't know that I'd give my son for you. I might say, I love you. I'll see you in eternity. But he gave his son. Now listen, it gets even better. The Bible says that he gave Jesus to us when we didn't even want him. Jesus said, you know, uh, uh, it's scarce. It's hard to find someone who will lay down their life for their friend. But how about laying down your life for an enemy? God is saying to us as his church, but really to the whole world, if they'd be willing to listen. And I want to look today at a story of how we listen and, and how we respond. But he's saying to us, what won't I do for you? I've given everything. I almost hear the Lord weeping. What more do you need to be convinced that I love you? that I want you, and that I want the best for you. I don't, I'm not putting anything on you or doing anything to you, and nothing has come into your life as a sadistic father. But it's only, as we saw in the scriptures, they said of themselves that everything, all things work together for the good of those who love him called according to his purpose. If we could get this revelation, we would see that our lives, that we, it's just human nature, that it's our nature to complain more than to be thankful, isn't it? I mean, there's some people that are just not. They're just thankful with everything. And it's amazing to see that personality. But our nature is we, we think about the little pain that we have Instead of the fact that we're walking and breathing, and I mean, we're just, we're so, we get so focused on that little thing. It's very, it's just easy. It's, we got to push that thing aside. We got to distract ourselves. We got to do something else to like forget the pain. That's just our human nature. But God, God is saying to us that He has given us everything and there's nothing He would spare. If there was more He could give, what God is saying to us is that He would do it. There's what haven't I done and what won't I do? And he, we know some of these scriptures here. I just want to breeze through the rest of Romans here because it's, it just affirms here. But this is the focus that I want you to get. I just want you to think of that. What God, what won't he do for us? Verse 33, who can accuse us? Who can accuse us? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. He's really just saying that, and you're my people. I need you to realize this. This is God speaking to his people. Who can condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Well, that's a mouthful. What's it say? Does it mean? Can anything, let's read 35 again. I don't think you got it. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we face these things? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we have been killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, it says, verse 37, you'd know it like this. We are more than conquerors. New King James, we are more than conquerors. Victory is ours through him who loved us through Christ. Verse 38, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. just want to read 31 and 32 again. So what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? He said all of that statement just to confirm what he's saying right here. Well, I mean, what can I say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, won't he also give us everything else. I want to take you over to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to pick that chapter up in verse 15. I really encourage you this week. I know we've been reading through the book of Acts. I want you to keep doing that as a church. We're going to finish up the book of Acts this month, right? But I want you to go ahead and, if you can, if you can make the time. It's not a huge book. You can really do it in one sitting. But read through the book of Ephesians. It's like the Christian life from chapter 1 to chapter 6. It's like the epitome of who we are. It talks about who we've been made in Christ all the way to chapter 6 about him being armored and standing as strong believers. But in chapter 1, I just want to read to you, there's a, there's a prayer in chapter 1 and chapter 3 that it was prayed. He said, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray, I pray for you constantly, asking God. This is a prayer of the apostles, right? This is a prayer of Paul. This is a prayer that really that God was putting through him for the people. This is the prayer of God for us. God saying this to us today, that I pray that you would understand, I need you to get this, that the glorious Father, verse 17 of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray to him to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope or the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory. He says, the glorious inheritance we have as his holy people. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been extended towards us. And he said, I, I pray that you get this. I pray. Man, his, it wasn't just, it's not just the power that raised him from the dead. It continues in the next three verses. It says, the same power that raised him from the dead. And then in 
And, and it says that he placed him and raised him from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above any ruler or authority or power. I mean, just envision that there's a power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heaven next to the Father, seated him there above everything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And everything's under his feet, under the authority of Christ, who's the head of all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. What an amazing prayer. He said, I pray that you would understand. I want the Lord to give you the knowledge of God. I want you to know God. I want you to come to the place where you understand who you are in God. Until you come to that place, until you come to the place where you understand who you are in God, right? I just saw very quickly during worship, I just saw the captain and he's looking at the stars, man, and unless he dictates, they, history says that they made a mistake and that's why Columbus landed down in South America. I mean, who knows? But the point is, you don't put your sights correctly. You don't know where you're headed. You're going to end up somewhere you didn't plan. We need to understand who we are as believers. If we don't understand, we're just going to be wandering about. The devil loves that. He loves a believer that you still go to heaven, you have eternity, he's not, gonna, he's not questioning your eternity, your salvation, and your peace, and your joy, and your hope, and all those things can be in you, but there's an authority in you as a believer. And that's what this whole book really talks about. There's a power in you. First of all, we've been talking about there's a power in you to control you. That's the first thing. Control your soul, not let that soul rule, and we went over that. I'm not going to get back into that, but there's a power that God has put in you that is so powerful, it's the same power that took Christ from death and seated him above everything that is named, unnamed, in the seen, in the unseen, spiritual, not spiritual, now, the future, the past, etc. That power was put in us. I mean, I don't even understand it fully. I'm praying the same prayer. For, I'm with you guys that we need to get this, that God wants us to get this. This is the key for the believer. And he says over in chapter 3, pray something very similar. And I think it's worthwhile looking. Uh, at, it's in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. When I think of what he did for us, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 15, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited, I love how the NLT says this verse, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. Now, why I wanted to go back, I read Romans 8, that it's the Holy, it's the key is the Holy Spirit. There is the soul, and there is the flesh, and there is the spirit. You cannot do that on your own. We need to understand that it's the power of God and only the Spirit of God that does anything. There is nothing that matters, nothing that's done, nothing you accomplish. It's like castles in the sand. It's sand. In fact, the Bible calls it wood, hay, and stubble, that he would try what you do in this life. One day, he's going to look at what you did in this life, and he said the wood, the hay, and the stubble, the things that you build with, those are those human things that we collect and we build. Those things would be burned in the fire. They're worth nothing. But he said, but you'll escape, but you'll have a smell of smoke coming in. You just made it. But it's the ones that built with my materials with gold and silver and precious stones, the stuff that God put in the earth that you can't change. You can heat it, you can melt it, you can grind it, but those things don't change. It was always God, it's always God, and you build with those things that will last into eternity. 
God's calling his people to be spirit people. He said, you began in the spirit, so why do you think that you could do it? This is Galatians 3. Why do you think because you began in the spirit, it's a spiritual encounter you had with me, that now you can start working it out in your flesh? You cannot do it in the flesh. We can't pray for 2017 in the flesh. We can't start praying fleshly things. God's, I mean, supernaturally started this thing. He started not just your salvation, but even this place. This is a prophetic word for you personally, but also for this church that who we are is a spirit people. We're spirit people and spirit led, and we don't need to worry about what any, any, anybody else is doing outside this place. I believe it's the same message for every believer in the whole world and every church and every denomination in the whole world. But let's just worry about us. That we want, we're going to choose. We decided to be a spirit people. We decided that we're not going to let our flesh rule and our soul rule and our mentality rule and all those things because the Bible warns us you do those things, you're not going to last. We need to be a spirit people because the spirit is what it's all about. The spirit of God. And so we're praying, and he's praying that it's through his spirit. There's an inner strength that you can't muster up. When you're tired, you're tired. Who's with me? When my flesh is tired, it's tired. You can't muster up will and strength. It's a spirit of God thing, and who has felt it? Who has felt when the spirit of God touches you? It's beyond you. It's beyond you. In fact, Jeannie uh, shared last week, you know, in, in a simple way, you go up and you start sharing the Lord with somebody, you go up afraid, and you're like, you feel like an idiot, even though we've got the good news in us. I mean, we shouldn't feel dumb, but it's the devil who makes us feel that way, and we get to the person, all of a sudden, bam, Spirit of God hits you, and you just comes out of your spirit. It's not even coming out of your, I mean, it's flowing through your mouth, but it's coming from your spirit. You don't even know what you're saying. I've had times where I walk in the kitchen and I just say one thing. I had nothing to do with that. Just say something to somebody. The person's eyes are like, because that's not us, the spirit of God. Bam, it's a spirit thing. You just, you stay a vessel to him. You stay unified with him. You stay united to him and he will do, believe me, the Holy Spirit is anxious to do his job. You let him rule in you and believe me, he will do his job through you. And so we find that it says, verse 17, Christ, it's an inner strength because, and what is it? He's, he's just summing it up here, really. Christ will make his home in your hearts. Well, we believe that part. We need to believe, verse 16, that it's the spirit, the power of the Spirit of God. We believe Christ has made our home in our heart. Well, if we believe that, we got to believe verse 16. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. In verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. It's a com we're finding a common theme to Romans 8. You got to understand His great love for you when you understand His love for you. When you understand that that's His love, you let the Spirit be God in you. And when you let the Spirit be God in you, then the power will come out of you. It says in verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great. It's beyond our understanding. It surpasses our knowledge. It's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. When you experience the love of Christ, the Bible says that the completion of a believer... The fullness of life and power that comes from God. And it says in verse 20, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish. All glory to God who is able. He's able. God is more than able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more infinitely more than we might ask or think. God wants to do bigger things through you. I mean, listen, I don't have a problem if someone says, what's your dream? 
what's in you? What do you dream to do? I don't have a problem with the statement as long as then the actions of that statement don't, are not just flesh and human and what you want to be. Well, let's see what God has put inside you. If you want to say, what dream did God plant in you that he wants to grow through you? I have no problem with that. But really, it doesn't matter even what you could imagine up. Isn't that incredible? Even what you could think up to help God, to build God's ministry, to build his kingdom, even what we could think up, this is going to help God. God wants to do more than you could even ask or think. God wants to do more. Going back to Romans 8, verse 32, he said, Is there anything I won't do? My power is unlimited. I am above it all. There is nothing and no one that's going to stop me. But it certainly looks like the kingdom of darkness is winning sometimes on this earth, doesn't it? It looked like that at the hour that Jesus was on the cross and it got dark, didn't it? It may look in the natural like you're doing nothing. I just felt this was such a key that we just stay steady. Jesus, if he, the Lord had spoke to me so clearly that if Jesus had looked at his ministry based upon what his disciples' condition were, based upon what the, re, the revival in the cities were, he would have thought his ministry was failing. Because even Peter... On the third, I mean, he spent three years intimate time with him, and Peter is still in the flesh, warring in the flesh, and strikes the ear, the soldier, trying to take Jesus to his destiny, right? Jesus was willing to work with him, and he's willing to work with us. The point is that he didn't look at those things. God was working, and he was putting 12 pieces. Well, it was supposed to be 12, wasn't it? One didn't make it. One decided that this isn't for me. And these 11 pieces that yielded to God's plan became the pillars and apostles for the church. And we can't look with these eyes. We can't think with this head because it's really beyond us anyway. You try to think up. We try to just imagine up what God's going to do and how we can help God and how we can grow His ministry and how we can be great believers and this and that. You will never, ever think up what God has. It's so far beyond the natural world. It's so far beyond the, 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 the flesh, the, what we can see. It's a spiritual thing. You don't actually have to see any results in the natural. You will, but you don't have to. That's not your job. You are just really a vessel, a conduit to, to put us. Listen, I'm going to just read a story for a couple minutes before we close. So I don't, I don't want to get rid of your individuality. I'm actually going to emphasize that. But technically, what we've become is utensils in his temple. You're a pot and a spoon and oil and cloth. I'm not taking away the specialness to you. I just pounded it into you how special, how much he loves us. But you've become a vessel for his use, to be honest. That's who you are. And yeah, for sake of time, let me turn right away. I'm going to turn quickly to uh, the book of Mark chapter 5. And I, I pray a line in this story so many times, and as I was praying the other day, I remembered that there's a story to the line that I'm so used to praying. And I just, and I feel like the, the Holy Spirit wanted to say some things here. In Mark 5, you have this, this story of, of a few things happening at once, and we're not going to get into all of it. You can go and read it yourself. I encourage always, whatever I'm preaching on, go and look it up, read it, and find if I'm telling you the truth. But in Mark chapter 5, we find that Jesus, he goes over to this area called the Gasserines, the Gadarenes, you can call it whatever you want, a couple different names for it, different spellings, but 
It's the time where the demoniac comes out of the tombs. Jesus miraculously heals him and he sends the, the demons that go into the pigs and the pigs die. Remember the story. Well, the Bible says that in verse 16, that those who had seen what happened, Mark 5, verse 16, those who had seen what had happened, they told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. God just displayed his power. God displayed his power to the people, and the people rejected him, pushed him away, wanted nothing to do with it. There's all kinds of theories on why this was, but it's possible one person, I had read, I read once that they maybe dealt with pigs. It's like their business and their livelihood, and God just destroyed it. It's possible that it was just human uh, anger and rage that he destroyed their business. Who knows? Doesn't really say. But the point is that they pushed him away. And that's not this group of people. But there is a group of people that pushes him away. They want nothing to do with God. They don't want anything to do with him. They're not impressed by his power anyway. Isn't that interesting? They're not impressed by it anyway. They don't care. Don't tell me today that miracles aren't happening. I mean, I have not seen every one of those people get out of wheelchairs and throw their crutches. I wasn't there, but I believe that as much as there are fakes and, fall, and false and flaws, that people are genuinely, miraculously coming back to life from the dead, getting out of wheelchairs, cancer's going. Uh, remember the guy who was crushed by the truck? 18-wheelers should not have lived. I mean, miracles still happen. God's still God, and God's doing things. And it's doing nothing for the power of the gospel in the world because they don't care. And it's not our job to make them care. Nor was it Jesus. You know what Jesus did? It says Jesus got into the boat. Jesus got into the boat. Did he have any lack of love for them? He was about to go to the cross for those people. These same people, they don't even know the story yet. He's about to go to the cross for them, and God says, and I would do more if I could. What more could I do? But Jesus gets into the boat, and he comes to the other side. It says in verse 21, Jesus came to the other side, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. This sounds a little bit different than the other side, isn't it? There is a person. There are a people that want God. Jesus loves every single person equally. His love is the same whether you want him or not. He loves you. But he will give to those who will receive it. His power is the same power on both sides of the lake. But one people said, we're not interested. We don't want it. And on this side, it says that he fell at his feet. He realized who this Jesus is. His desperation for him. He said, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And it says in verse 24, it's a very interesting chapter because there's a few things. Again, you could really look into this. I encourage you to do some study on this. There's a few things happening here at once. But it says in verse 24 that Jesus went with him. He goes with him. I'm going to do this thing. Yes, I see your heart. That's what I'm here to do. I want both sides. I want everybody the same, but I'm, I'm here. I don't know what more to do than what I'm about to do. You have a choice if you want me. And the more you want me, the more you're going to find. And you won't find an end in me. That's what Jesus is saying to us. But in verse 25, he says, a woman in the crowd, they were crowding around him, rather. Let me, let me emphasize verse 24. It says in New King James, a great multitude followed him. And it says that they thronged him. This word crowding around him is not inaccurate, but really 
the, the Greek word that they translated this from actually means to almost strangle. The people had gotten so tight around Jesus, they were almost strangling him. There was so many people up against him. But there's a very interesting thing that's about to happen in this story. Something very special, something I believe the Lord wants us to hear today. And it says, though that its crowd was crowding around him. There's a world that doesn't want him. Listen to these key points here. There's a world that wants nothing to do with him. But then there's another world. It's the people that want to be around Jesus. They were crowding him. They want to be around him. They like Jesus. They like who he is. They like the idea of Jesus. They want to be around Jesus. But then there's another level that he is looking for in us. He doesn't want you to be crowded around him. I mean, he's happy with that. He'd rather have that than the other side. Jesus doesn't condemn this people, but there's another level. It says that a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. She was at the end of a rope. Someone said to me, do you have to suffer to come to Christ? And I said, no, it's just easier. Because you realize that your need is the same whether you've suffered or not, isn't it? The need is the same. No matter what you've gone through, we need Christ the same. But when you've gone through something, at least that need becomes, becomes more real to you. And it says that, in fact, she had she gotten no better. She had gotten worse. And in 27, she had heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. See, there's the first step is to hear about them. You can hear about them. And there's a church that hears about them. There are people that can hear about them. There's a group that crowds around them and they heard about them. But the Bible says that she thought to herself, she had heard about him, so she came up, verse 27, she came up behind him through the crowd. Now listen to this. The crowd was so tight, the Bible uses the word thronged, it used the word that it was like choking him. Man, she was determined. You, don't, you ever been in a crowd like that? I have. It's an, it's an actually very irritating feeling, especially if you're claustrophobic, you don't like tight spaces. When people are pushing you and you know you need to just get there and it takes you 15 minutes to get through that crowd and it's a very frustrating feeling inside. You don't push through crowds unless you need to, unless you want to. And it says that she made her way to him and it says that she touched his robe. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe... I will be healed. If I can just touch his robe, if I can just get the hem of his garments, if I can just touch his clothes even, I just want to get as close to Jesus as I can. I don't want to be around him. That's fine. If that's what other people want, I'm certainly not going to be the one that rejects him. I want to get close to him. I want to come because there's something there's in me. I know that he is the answer. I know that there is no other thing because I've proven that. My life literally proves that, that, that I've tried it all. And there's nothing that can give me what I need. But it says she thought to herself, I can just touch him. I just want to get close to him. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Now pay attention as, we, as I prepped up to this point. Jesus realized at once that power had gone out from him. The Bible says that healing power had gone out from him. What did we talk about? I think we pounded it into the ground. God's power for us. And the way to get it is to come up to Jesus and get close to him. That's it. The crowd was pressing. Do you think that there were some other miracles needed in this crowd? I highly doubt that this entire town, this entire crowd was completely well. But the Bible says that she pushed through and it says that he turned around. Come on. 
Jesus, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, verse 31, Jesus, look at this crowd. I can, I can, I can see God too looking today. Listen, in the day we're living, don't worry, don't look at the crowd. It's, it, this is the thing, it's such a spiritual, God is, it's not really something I could actually explain. I do the best that I can to tell you, but it's a, this whole thing, even just understanding the scriptures, it's a spiritual thing. Only the spiritual God, I mean, Jesus is there in the flesh, and his own people rejected him, but those with ears to hear received him. It's a spiritual thing. There's really no way to explain it, except you've got to be spirit to get it. Don't look with your eye. The crowd means nothing. The crowd means nothing What? Jesus' power, it's not about the crowds, come on. It's not about those things. It's about the intimacy. It's about the grabbing hold of Jesus. This is what Jesus is all about. He said, the, the, his disciples, they say to him, how can you ask who touched me? But Jesus, he kept on looking around, verse 32, to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, listen, look at the symbolism here. This woman trembling. She, had, she was completely and totally broken and humble at the feet. I mean, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I picture her crawling. It's a lot easier. Your bodies are up here. It takes up the bulk of your body. The legs, there's gaps. I picture that she crawled through to get to them. I, that's just my perception. I Don't take that home and say that's what the Bible says. But she was low. She was humble. She got before him. She grabbed a hold of him. And she came in the same way. And she said, it's me. She falls to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, as he's saying to you today, come on, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Jesus has power within him that is the same whether you grab a hold of it or not. The world may reject him, and Jesus is not concerned. Don't be concerned. It's no lack of love from him, and it's no lack of love from us. There's no pride in his church against the world, but we just keep moving. Jesus just kept going. He just crossed over. Who is going to believe? Who's going to see me? And even when the crowds, listen, you can be in a church. You can have churches in the world and in America and in the Hudson Valley, and then there's an individual, and that's your your choice. I love the body, and that's why I emphasized it's the body, but it's a body of individuals. It's a body of cells. Really, we want to see God do something. It's when each cell says to Jesus so desperately that I need you. Because Jesus sees the crowd. There's, it's not him looking at his crowd with any, with any judgment. Why isn't anybody else grabbing me? But whoever is willing... Whoever leaves their issues, it said she had some issues and she left them. She knew that if she could get to Jesus, the issues are done. And Jesus will say to you today the same thing he said to her. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Your suffering is over. It's a spirit thing. Don't Look, don't worry, don't even think, don't even, listen, God loves every single person that was ever made and will ever be. He loves every church, he loves every denomination, both those that want him and don't. God's love is the same, but we can make the choice 
Don't worry about what you've read. Don't worry about the churches that you see on TV or you hear on the radio or any of those things because many times the crowds are so close to Jesus that they're squeezing him and yet there's still more in him to be found. There's a place in Christ that if you will push past the crowd, there's a place in him that he will bypass everything else, even the church of today for a people that comes above, not in pride and not in arrogance that you've got something, but that you are someone that has grabbed a hold of him even beyond what his church today, whom he loves, is. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants. That's truly it's, it is letting go. And then the Holy Spirit takes a hold. And when he does, it might be healing you need in her case. It, I mean, it, it's unlimited. Whatever is in you, whatever dream, whatever hurt, whatever pain, I mean, all of these things, everything, his power is available in Jesus and Jesus alone. In our submission to him in our humility before him, in our crawling through, pushing past. I mean, even today's preaching, etc. I mean, just get, just push it, just get to Jesus. Push through it all. Even, this, even great sermons, push through it all and just get to Jesus. Let's stand and pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done. We could never say it enough and say it every week and it's never, ever going to be enough, but I say it again. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. Lord, I pray, it's just as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 and 3, I pray, including myself, Lord, that we as a body, we, this place, Lord, you put us here and we don't choose why we're, where we're born, what time we're born. We don't have any of these choices, but this is where we're at. We're here today, and you put us here. And Lord, I pray that we, as this body, would grab a hold of you, Lord. We would grab a hold of your garment, Lord. We would just get as close as we possibly can, and we would push through everything we know, everything we see, everything we think, even... Our faith, we're going to push deeper to the place where you are. We don't want to be around you. We don't just want to be around you. We don't just want to be part of the crowd. We want to, be into, we want to get to you because we know that you alone, it's not the church, it's you at the center, at the head that we need. And Lord, we pray that this it can only come by your Spirit. So, Lord, we pray today for an impartation from spirit to spirit, a revelation in us of who you are and what you have for us and, and who we are in you. And I thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.